0: Good evening. Good It's Walter Spires and welcome to us uh, de- welcome to Tuesday Night Live. We're just excited to be here. very excited to be bringing the message I taught on Sunday for those who could not join us or watch or listen. And I've actually added a little bit to it so we're going to look at a couple of, one additional question tonight before we move on. And as I mentioned Sunday, this will end up being probably a three part series I'm not sure yet. I'm going to teach as our time allows. I don't ever go over. I promise you that on the front end. But I think you're going to learn a lot because this is a challenging subject to teach. It's a challenging one to understand. And most people don't, and especially those who are not Christians. But this message is for everyone. It's for everyone who has questions about death. So let me pray, and we'll get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and I am so excited and privileged and honored and humbled that you allow me to come and teach it to those who have ears to hear and will receive it by your Holy Spirit. So Lord, let me not stray, let me not wander from the the text and to stay faithful and true to it, because our time is limited this, this evening. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, Death Be Not Proud. Death Be Not Proud. That was the title. I'll explain that in just a minute. For weeks and weeks now, going back into December, we have personally experienced with families, not our family immediately, but our families, our Christian family, and some people very, very close to us, and some we've worked with before, ministered with before, and some we just, we love them, and though some were not. Distance close right now. We we mourn with them. We mourn with them and grieve with them over their losses And just the most recent a couple of weeks ago This two-year-old precious precious little grandson of one of our friends over in Arkansas Finally succumbed to this long battle with leukemia, just an incurable version He went through so many different treatments and things to try to find a cure and was lifted up and bathed in prayer all over all over the world, just as uh, one of my best friend's granddaughters, who's 16, was involved in an auto accident, and after weeks of struggling and fighting and hanging on, dealing with all kinds of broken bones, fractures, skull, all kinds of intracranial pressure issues that really never did sufficiently um, subside for her to survive, she too woke up in the precious arms of Jesus, our Savior. There's nothing greater than that, but there's also nothing greater this side of experiencing that than mourning the loss of our children, our loved ones, husband and wife, and especially especially when it's our grandbabies. We don't ever expect to precede them in death. And yet I've spoken at funeral before, and we've just seen this happen. And, and we pray that we don't ever personally go through it, but we do, and we walk through with these dear, dear close friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, who were just mourning that loss, and and then a few weeks ago, got word that a plane crashed in East Texas, and on board were uh, five people. I think that were all from Harvest Church in Memphis, and we know people there and staff and a good friend of mine, his executive pastor, a former friend of mine. I haven't seen him in many years. He was killed, and and um, four of them were killed, and the senior pastor is the only one who survived. and He's in, in, in very bad shape as well, but just crushing. And that church, oh my goodness, press, pray for them, Harvest Church in Germantown, Tennessee. They just crushed because they lost so many people on staff and so many people that were dearly loved and, and needed in that body of Christ. And, and so when we get to things like this, we always ask those questions about death, and we always ask why, and sometimes we're angry and We're angry at God. We don't understand why he allows us to happen, and some would say cause it to happen, which is not the truth. I will speak to that at some point, probably not tonight. But it's just a hard time, and dealing with death is a very difficult, difficult thing. And so this, this phrase came to me, and I've heard this for many, many years, probably going back to English Lit and maybe high school or college, and the phrase is, Death Be Not Proud. And I didn't really know what it meant. I'd never seen the full poem. And so I started looking it up when that phrase popped in my mind about how I would teach and what I would teach about death and, and how we deal with it and try to understand to the extent that humans can. And so what I found was it's not Death Be Not Proud. It's, it's a sonnet. It's called the Holy Sonnet number 10, and it was written by a poet and a cleric of the Church of England. In 1609. It was written in 1609 and later published in 1633. That's a long, long time ago. We're talking about 400 years. But here's how it reads, and I'll give you the first couple of lines because when you read it properly, then it begins to make more sense than just flipping out the words, Death be not proud. Because there's a comma after death, and it says, Death be not proud. And the second phrase says, "Though some have called you mighty and dreadful," let me say that again. Death, comma, pause. Be not proud, though some have called you mighty and dreadful. It's a personification of death by this poet, John Donne. And he takes on death, and he and he begins by calling out death and telling death not to be proud, and goes on to lecture death about how it shouldn't be proud, calls itself mighty and all that, but it's not. And it talks about us not fearing death and there's a greater power. And so what I wanted to kind of segue out of that into our message was just with that last part where it talks about that there's some kind of a sense of, the, of, a, of a power that's greater than death. Well, of course, as Christians, we know exactly what that is. We know the one who is the greater power who helps us to conquer and overcome death. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. One of the things that I added in our message for tonight that I did not teach on Sunday, and I'm not sure why, the question just struck me as I was thinking about this, looking over to see if I would teach it the same way. And generally I do, but I also try to lean in and listen to see if there's things that can be updated, said better, spoken better, verses that also apply, maybe should be used, and some of the some ones that I did. And so, the question, it's a very fundamental question, and I don't know why I didn't think about it before, but it's pretty simple, and the question is this, why do we die? Why do people die? Why is there death to begin with? It's a very fundamental question, right? Like those questions, we have some on our websites, right? You know, why would a good God let bad things happen to good people? That question gets asked when things like this happen. You know, why am I here? There's some of those highly philosophical questions that, they're not rhetorical in nature, but sometimes they seem that way. But in this case, this is not. It's a straight-up question. Why do we die? Why is there death? Where did it come from? Now, before I get into the answer that question, because there is a very simple answer to that one, very simple, you need to understand this. I haven't spoken this qualifier in a while, but I will. I understand that I am a born-again Christian. And so as a Bible teacher and evangelist, I'm gonna tell I'm gonna teach the truth of the word of God. What I'd like to say, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. I'm not being sworn in to testify. I'm testifying, in a sense, to you before the Lord God to be faithful to his word. And so I believe that the Bible, as do many Christians, but not all, and more and more are moving away from this is what we refer to as the infallible and the inerrant Word of God. And I've explained this to you before, and I don't have time to get into those tonight. But let me say it this way. I believe the Word is truth, as I said when I prayed. It is truth. Now, are there copyist errors and things like that in the Bible? Are there some things somewhat out of place, whatever? Yeah, there are. That's been proven over the years. It has nothing to do with the truth and infallibility that what it says is true and that it can be believed and trusted. It can be believed and trusted. Those are the two things that we as Christians, in my opinion, must believe. Otherwise, a lot of what we believe, the theology we stand on, falls apart. Again, different discussion. But I want you to know that because I am preaching and teaching from a point of view of believing the Bible is true. And so I believe the Genesis account of creation. Because we're going to go right now to Genesis 2. Genesis 2 and the creation has been finished except for the creation of man. And so, I'm going to read the answer to that question, why do we die? And there's a couple brief passages I'll share with you, and the simple answer is this. I'll jump ahead. Spoiler alert. The answer is sin. All of humanity dies because of that three-letter word sin. Okay? How do we know that? Again, my reference is the Bible. And in Genesis 2, We're going to read this, and it begins with the creation of Adam. And Adam was created out of the dust, as we know. In Genesis 2, I'm picking up in verse 15. Then the Lord took the man that he created out of the dust and formed him into a man. And by the way, had breathed into him, breathed into him. That's why it says we're made in the image of God, and we're spirit beings like God is spirit. And I'll talk about spirit. Maybe get there before we close tonight. I'm not sure. But God breathed into Adam, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life that gave him that spirit, that pneuma, from God into man that is that connection between God and man always, eternally. We'll talk about that more. So we have God. We have Adam already created. And it says the Lord took man, that's Adam, and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. That was the assignment we were given as men was to cultivate and grow and take care of and be stewards of all of God's creation. Good stewards of all of God's creation. In a perfect garden, in a perfect world, perfect man, perfect everything, because God created it that way, okay? So the Lord commanded man, and here's the key. From any tree in this garden, the Garden of Eden, you may eat freely. Go eat. They were all vegetarians, by the way. Even the animals, know, were vegetarians before the flood. You may eat freely of any and every tree, all of them except one, except one. Verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay? You have everything. I created everything for you. You're over it. You're over You have dominion over the animals, the earth, Everything. You have dominion because I have given that to you. I have created you, as the Bible says later, a little lower than the angels. You are men, and I have put you here to take care of my creation. And everything and anything you want in this garden is yours, except that you cannot eat the fruit. And by the way, it wasn't an apple. We don't know. It just says fruit. It never says apple. We grew up as kids thinking that's what it was, but it wasn't. We don't know. I guess it could have been the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because it would make him as wise and knowledgeable as God from that fruit. That's what we're told. I'm not making this stuff up. That's what it is. And so God did not want man who wasn't God to have his eyes open to that much because then becomes prideful. And that's why Satan fell and was cast out of, of heaven. And that's another story. But that's the one admonition and the caution that God gave Adam. Everything else is yours. Everything. And he only gave him one exception. And so what did he do? Well, let's turn the page. And in Genesis 3:17, we start here and we read this. It was after Satan taking the form of a serpent. Some argue about that, but Revelation speaks directly to that. Satan taking the form of a serpent, or at least possessing the serpent, and a serpent looked nothing like it does today. It's a beautiful creature beautiful to Eve, otherwise she'd be scared to death and get up and run like most of us would if a big old serpent came talk to us, took on a voice, personified, and talked to her and tempted her to eat that fruit using the temptation that he had had before, which was, oh, you know, God really won't kill you, will really. he? Because she said he told Adam, and by the way, Eve wasn't there. This is one reason that Adam is faulted with his sin, because he wasn't there when God gave the command. Now we feel certain that he probably told his wife, like I tell my wife, I think everything I can think about, most things. And and so perhaps she knew, but she knew enough to tell the serpent, look, God told us, said Adam, to Adam, told me that we can do everything. We've got it all, but we can't eat that fruit right there. And the serpent probably got one and said, isn't this beautiful? This is magnificent. You won't believe how good it tastes. All these things that I'm reading into it, by the way. And so she said, it says that she saw that the fruit was good, And she ate it. And then she called Adam over and said, this is unbelievable. You eat it too. And so Adam ate it as well. And though Eve sinned first, Adam is given the fault for it because he was created first. He's over her in that sense as first creation. And he did not protect her and mankind from the curse that came with it. How do we know there's a curse? God promised him. He said, in the day you eat, you will surely die. And it doesn't mean that day. He means that death comes into the world. And so this is where death comes into the world. I'm going to read the curse. There were three curses. God cursed Satan for doing it. Cursed Eve for being the one that brought Adam into it. And that was the pain and childbirth and all those other things. And that she would be submissive to her husband in her role. It was given right there. And I know that people hate that. This is what the Word of God says. In Genesis 3, 17 and 19, we see the curse that God put on Adam He's already done so with serpent, Satan, and then Eve. And now in verses 17 and 19, he comes to Adam, the man, because, and he said this, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Meaning You're going to have to work hard to get food produced out of the ground, which wouldn't have been the case before. Thorns and thistles will grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. And you're gonna to have to work to do all this yourself. That wasn't the plan. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that's the physical death, the curse of physical death now coming true, because God seemed like keeping his word and his promise. He told Adam and Eve, excuse me, he told Adam. If you eat of that one fruit from that one tree, physical death will come upon you and separation from me will be there. That's the curse of death. And that's why we die. That's where the physical first death came from, because Adam and Eve were not supposed to die. A lot of people don't understand that. When God created perfection in the garden, in the world, everything was created, was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. And then here comes this sin crashing in. And because of that, physical death means we die. So they lived to be, I think, 900 plus years old. I didn't look up those dates. But people in those generations that followed until the flood lived extremely long periods of time. Why? Because the flood had not come. And that canopy, that veil was still there protecting them from all the sun's UV rays and all the things that cause aging. I don't want to go down that path right now, but that's what happens. But anyway, this is where physical death comes from. So when people ask the question, why do we die? This is where it began. But God did not intend it that way. And as we'll see later on in the study of Revelation and how things at end times and what Jesus has in mind as he teaches his disciples and those who would come to to faith in him, born again in Christ, as we say it, we won't die ever once we are reunited. We're gonna get to some of that next week and the following week, but let me keep going here. So that's why we die. When people say, why do we die? That's why we die. It was a curse of sin. It was God fulfilling what he told them was going to happen, and it did. The two other verses in the New Testament I wanna share with you before we move on. The first one is this, and it's extremely well known to Christians, and people know much about the Bible and memorizing Bible verses, and in Romans 3.23 it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's not the one we're pointing to today because we're talking about death. Turn over the page two or three pages and you come to Romans 6.23, and God spoke this to the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit, for the wages of sin, Adam and Eve sin, all the way through to all of us who have sinned because in Romans 3.23, we're told all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Now he goes on to say a few pages later, For the wages of that sin is death, is death. And we'll clarify later on that he's talking about not only physical death, which was that promise that came from God to Adam and to everyone else in terms of physical death, but also a spiritual death, which sadly isn't death at all, and I'll talk more about that later as well. There's one more verse I want to share with you before we move on, and that's Hebrews 9.27. This excerpt is taken from there, Hebrews 9:27. For it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So this, again, says from the writer of Hebrews that every human being, everyone that's ever been born, is going to die. And here's why. And then he gets ahead of us a little bit and says, this is what's going to happen. Then comes the judgment. And we will come to that ominous, ominous time before we close out this, this series. All right, before I wrap things up, today, well, let me say this. Way. I want to wrap things up today, and this is not close to the end, but this is the last subject we're going to cover. And we'll call it the death of first importance, the death of first importance. And why is that? Because that's what the Apostle Paul calls it. Now we're back to, uh, first, we're back to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received. That's a key. Mark that word received. In which also you stand. In other words, you have faith and you stand in what you received by which you were also saved. So we're saved by grace through faith. It's receiving that gift of God that's talked about in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but that gift is salvation. Some teach that the gift is faith. And so God gives us a faith and Gets into a lot of stuff I'm not going to go to, but I don't think that's proper translation and teaching. That gift is salvation, and here he says, "You received the gospel, and you were saved." It's in that order. It's not some other order. We received the gospel by faith. The Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin, and now we have the we receive the gospel. This gospel teaching, which he's going to further uh, elaborate on. So let's keep going that which you've been saved, excuse me, you stand by which you're also saved, and here's the other part, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, the gospel, the gospel that Christ came and died for our sins, if you hold fast to that I preached to you, which was a gospel, unless you believed in vain. Let me finish this and I'll come back to that phrase. For I delivered to you as of first importance, And that's why I've titled this The Death of First Importance, because the series is on death and dealing with death. So the death of first importance is this. I delivered to you what was of first importance, what I also received, meaning Paul had received it as well, that Christ died for our sins. Remember, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need something to pay for those sins. So, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. It was throughout Old Testament prophecy, and then John the Baptist came and spoke it, and Jesus spoke it. He said, I came into the world to call sinners to repentance. I came into the world to be the salvation of those who believe, which is what he told Nicodemus, whosoever will, in John 3, in that whole uh, discourse between Nicodemus and Jesus. That Christ died for our sins according to scripture, and then he was buried. We know that. That's, that's what we consider Good Friday. And he was also raised on the third day, which is Resurrection Sunday that many call Easter, again, according to Scripture. All of this was according to Scripture, according to the Word of God, whatever they had at the time, which was the Tanakh, which is the Jewish Old Testament. According to that Scripture, those prophecies, this is what Jesus Christ, who is indeed the Messiah, did for all of us. It is called the death of first importance because Christ died for our sins and became the first one in the resurrection, which we're going to get into next time in a lot of detail. All right. So it's really important to understand why people die. Talked about that sin. It comes from Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 forward all the way through human history. Still does today. We're all guilty of our sin, just like Paul's talking about. And he made he made um, he used a phrase here that I want to now go back and speak to just a minute. He said all those things about I made known to you the gospel that I preached, that you received and believed, and by that you were saved. That's your salvation. If you hold fast to the word, unless you believed in vain. Now, what can that possibly mean? Well, believing in vain is this: I can believe something that you tell me. But if I don't act on that belief, I may have mentally said, yeah, I believe that, but I don't do something about it. Let's say I told you that a tornado was coming and you believe me because it's weather report. Here it is. And this tornado coming and you better take shelter, better take cover, better make some steps or do something to act like you believe what I told you. Okay, I believe I got that. I got that. And then your house is just ripped off its foundation because you said you believed, but you must not have believed because you didn't do anything. demonstrated that you believed. Now, there's a lot of argument about that. I'm I'm always honest to tell you what different people from different denominations or faiths or whatever argue and believe. And I I look at these things. I watch them. I study some. And they would say, no, 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 you can't say that because that's saying that you're saved by works. And we're not saved by works. And some will say that receiving that gift of salvation is a free gift. Just to receive it by faith is also works. And that's nonsense. There's nothing about works that is is involved with salvation, okay? We're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God that we receive from him based on our faith to receive that gospel, which says that Christ is who he said he was, that he died for our sins, buried, rose on the third day, and that resurrection, the glorious resurrection, which we're gonna get into next week in detail, that's what we believe. And when he says he believed in vain, there are a lot of people and many that are in the church, and that's one thing that the Holy Spirit has been on me about, to go and preach and teach in the church to people in the pews who think that they are saved. There are many people in the world that think that they are saved, that they would say they're a Christian. And so he say, well, how, how did you, tell me about your faith journey, and when did you receive Christ? And if you just ask of those questions, some will tell you what's none of your business, that's personal, or Some will tell you, well, you know, I read the Bible, or I saw this in the Bible, or someone told me that I heard a preacher say this, and I acknowledge what he was saying was true, and and I go to a Christian church, so I I must be a Christian, right? Well, no. The answer is absolutely no. I mean, no more than you're a Jew, even if you're a Jew by birth, and Paul talked about it a good bit. There are Jews who claim to be Jews, but they're not really Jews because they've done nothing to obey God, to obey the law. They weren't really Jews in terms of what God called his people to do. Well, now it's moving to the new covenant and Christ came and died for us and was resurrected. And so our sins are cleansed and removed forever. All of our sins, the ones we will commit, we'll confess them. We'll talk about that later, but we're saved. We are saved and born again, unless you believed in vain, meaning, yeah, you said you believed, but there's no evidence in your life to show that. Yeah. You said you believe, but, You would say like many famous people do. I heard this from Oprah Winfrey. I've heard it from other people where they said, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I believe Jesus Christ, but he's not the only way. There are many other ways to get to Christ. I heard that recently when someone is speaking at a funeral. No, there's not. No, there isn't. Christ is the only way. That's what he said in John 14, 6. So to hold these positions that many hold today who claim to be Christians is according to Scripture, the words of Jesus and all the apostles that followed, is a lie. You're not a Christian. You don't understand what it really means to be born again. And Jesus was emphatic about that. In fact, most of the New Testament in my studies, especially in recent ones, they're pointing out two things. One, that people did not really become born again in Christ because they're producing no fruit. They're not living according to his commands. And that's what Jesus said. How do I know you're Christians? If you obey my commands and produce fruit, and that you have the five loves in your life. And I preached on that last year. You can look those series up on my YouTube channel or the um, website, Only Jesus. Life. Everything is there. I did a whole series on those five loves. Those are the indicators, and that is the proof text, the proof in your life that you really are born again and you did not believe in vain. But Paul recognizing, just like we do today, but people don't like to hear it, there are many who say that they're Christians and they don't understand the first thing about what it truly means to be born again Which is what Jesus said, the requirement is the first requirement of new birth, just like his death was the first importance there. That's it. So that's what it means to believe in vain or reality to not believe. I hope that helps you understand better. Death is. Man, it's hard to deal with. It has produced sorrow, probably some from the very first. I'm sure that when Adam and Eve physically died and they were buried, cremated, whatever happened, there were people mourning and sorrowful about it. But there's two deaths we're talking about here. And that's what's told in Genesis, you see, and then we learn throughout the rest of Scripture, And I'll talk about this more next time. It's understanding that there's body, soul, and spirit, and that there are two deaths. And the second one really isn't death at all. It's referred to that, but I think it kind of confuses people. The first one is that physical death, that beginning with Adam, everyone has died, unless, of course, you know your Old Testament. And you know that, in fact, Enoch first in Genesis said that, this is a great verse, I love it, it said, Enoch walked with God, and was no more. He was gone. He was raptured out. Taken out. Just gone. Then Elijah, the prophet, was carried off in a chariot of fire in front of many, many observers, including Elisha, who was his um, successor. That's it. In Scripture, those are the only two people that were not that did not die physically, including our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He died physically for a reason, that his blood would be shed, that he would be that propitiation, that word means substitution for our death, should have been us on that cross, should have been our blood spilled, because the Bible says clearly, again, in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or cleansing of sin. From the Old Testament covenant with Moses, when the blood came in, the blood of animals, The blood continued all the way through Christ, the final sacrifice, because it said he died once and for all for our sins. So I hope that helps you understand some, because when we die, if we're born again in Christ, we die physically. But the other side, that other death I'll speak to briefly, and then we'll talk about it both next week and the following week, is the second death. Well, that's talking about spiritual death. And spiritual death really isn't death at all. That's when we get into the, what people refer to as the afterlife, only isn't really an afterlife per se, because our spirits do not die. Our spirits are that connection piece to God. Remember, God breathed into Adam, human beings, mankind is the only God-breathed creature ever in all of creation. And that's the spirit, breathing the spirit of God into us so that we have this connection to God. And someone like that thing that I think is absolutely spot on. And again, others poo-poo this and say, "Oh, that's nonsense. We don't have that." But the brilliant genius Blaise Pascal, who was a uh, 18th-century French mathematician, philosopher, theologian, brilliant guy. When I was an engineering student, you know, we learned that one of the measures of pressure, in English, we talk about as psi, right, pounds per square inch. But in engineering, you'll often talk about it as a Pascal or someone said Pascal, well, that's where it came from. He, he he invented that phrase and his understanding of the brilliance of mathematics and physics and stuff. Anyway, he's also the one that said this phrase, many have heard that inside the heart of man there's a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. And I think that speaks well to what I'm talking about. This is spirit long in this connection to God. And that's why we see everyone's trying to find some way to fill that. And so God becomes sex, drugs, pornography, Anything, people on these trips and things and like there's one famous athlete going off in the darkness for days and everybody's trying to connect with something because everyone knows there's something more. It cannot be just about humans, this life, look around at what's going on and and, and, and even foolish people realize there's got to be more than this. Do I just live and then I die? Well, many people believe that, but that is not what the Bible teaches and that is not what this second death means. And the second death means that spirit doesn't die. That spirit is sentenced to hell because of a rejection of Jesus Christ or blessed with heaven is that reward for being born again and not believing in vain as Paul talked about. That's the good news. That's the good news. We celebrate every time someone that we know is born again in Christ, professing Christian that lived it and we, can, we just know that we know, we celebrate that. We celebrate that, but it's still hard. I've spoken at funerals and um, it's still hard, but it's, but it's so much different when you're up there celebrating someone's life because it's continued on. And we'll talk more about that as we get into talking more about heaven and hell and, and other things like that, that again, people want to know about. And the Bible teaches a lot on that. It's not 100% clear. But there's a lot of truth, and we're going to dive into that next time as we begin talking about resurrection. So let me close by just giving this invitation, pleading with anyone, pleading with anyone who has heard what I've said. You've watched it. You've read it. Maybe on my notes, you've you've listened to it on the podcast. It's on Anchor and Spotify and every major player, everything that I do. And it's not a commercial. There's no money involved with it. There's just biblical teaching of truth that I want you to hear for one reason. I don't want you to turn this video off. I don't want you to uh, turn off the podcast or radio, wherever you're listening to this. Reading. I don't want you to do that without coming to grips with your own sin, your need for a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is the only way. And we use this verse just about every week in John 14, 6, because of Jesus words. So it's not from Walter. It's not from anyone else in Scripture. Jesus alone said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And here's the key. No one comes to the Father. In other words, no one is reconciled from his sin back to God, his creator. Perfect, holy God demands a perfect, holy person. Well, only Jesus was that. And so that's the reason he can, he can be, he's the only one who can be that, that propitiation, that substitution. He's the one and the only one. So I'm pleading right now that you would bow the knee, confess your sins, and just receive him. Believe, as I said, receive him. And in that do, and in, in so doing, you will have your salvation, eternally, forever. It's great, and you'll really enjoy the rest of this series so much more if you do. Father God, I pray that someone somewhere is receiving this through some means, and understands that it's the truth, and that your Holy Spirit is on them right now, on them about their sin, their life, that stuff going on and they're searching and seeking for something else that he would breathe into their spirit even now, this truth that Jesus Christ is that one and the only one who can save us and redeem us to the Father and then give us this glorified life afterwards and the power and strength of our Holy Spirit to live between now and them. For Christ's sake and Christ's sake alone, amen. God bless you. See you next time. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.